This is Lou Elizondo, and you are listening to That UFO Podcast. That UFO Podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. The open beta strives to put the power of studio-quality remote video production into the hands of anyone with a story to tell. Features include HD video recording, studio-quality sound, chat and footnotes. All running right from your browser so you can record from anywhere without ever installing anything. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. It's a breakdown for the, I was going to say beginning of July, but it's now the 10th of July. My God, uh, the month is getting away from us. Dan is here with me. Dan, welcome. Is is this time dilation? Is time getting warped by the intense heat in the UK? We'll get to that when we talk about Tom DeLong's appearance on Steve-O's podcast, uh, Time Dilation. But yes, um, on that it is extremely hot here in the UK to the point I cannot sit in my normal recording space. Um, let's not call it a shed. Uh, it is like a, It would be like recording in a sauna that's having the air sucked out of it. So if there's a slight echo on this one or the, the sound sounds a little bit different, uh, just for this recording because we couldn't fit it in anywhere else over the next few days and we really wanted to do it. We were getting into trouble for off of listeners for not having done this yet. Um, I have moved into the kitchen. So if you are watching on YouTube, uh, there will be no video for this one. Apologies, but you do not need to see my kitchen. Trust me. Um, It is an absolute mess with kids' stuff everywhere. Um, But we're getting it done, and uh, it'll be back to normal audio quality for the next one anyway. Dan, a lot to get through for this one because it's actually it's actually been almost a month since we recorded a breakdown. Um, Wow. Time time really does go by fast. It does. a lot to get through. I've got down here, among other things, we're going to talk about the Brazilian hearings, Lou Elizondo's IG complaint, Tom DeLong on Steve-O's podcast, the NDAA language, uh, James Webb update, a little bit on Roswell at the end, and there's some other stuff thrown in there as well, which we'll, which we'll get to. So will we kick off with a little bit on the Brazilian hearings then? They happened um, on the 24th of June, so as we record this, almost three weeks ago. Um, this was an event that we've known has been coming for some time. Um, it wasn't like the US hearings. It wasn't as, I don't think it's unfair to say as official in terms of the representation and who was there. It wasn't senators, congress, men and women. It was officials, but researchers, journalists, and a bit more of a, a citizen type hearing that we yeah. had in 2001, as opposed to the the US hearings that we had more recently as well. Um it was overseen by Brazilian Senator Eduardo Giral, um, who also helped organise the event. Um, the speakers, like I say, were made up of um, researchers, journalists, um, apparently high-ranking officials were present, however, not necessarily part of the part of the event. And there was a former federal representative as well. It's been quite hard, I think, for people to get a hold of what exactly went on at the hearing. It, it was quite long. It was in uh, the native, you know, Brazilian, other than some parts like from Robert Salas, Gary Heseltine, and a couple of others. Uh, and it went on for quite a few hours as well. Well done to the couple of folks on Twitter who who tried to transcribe the, the event. And um, there's a yeah, bit of a breakdown. You. Yeah, there's a bit of a breakdown on Reddit as well. So thank you to those folks who've done that. And I think the subtitles, um, actually, they are now available if people want to go back and watch the replay. Um, and it's it's relatively 
they're, they're relatively okay. The subtitles can can work out my accent. They can work out the translation from um, Portuguese, uh, Brazilian Portuguese, however it's, it's uh, phrased. So yeah, um, we, we'll give you the, the, the basics and the highlights. Um, straight off the bat, Dan, uh, one thing that was a bit of a controversy afterwards was Lou Elizondo was meant to have a representation there in form of a video that was meant to be played at the event. Uh, that didn't happen, and there was nothing really said about it. Did you ever hear anything afterwards as to why that was? I did. Um, so so uh, Ronnie, Ronnie, excuse, excuse yeah. me, getting the name wrong. Uh, he was talking with you a while back. He spoke with Vinny on Disclosure Team, and he explained that basically he kept putting Lou in touch with the officials, and wires just got crossed, contact just got dropped. And at a certain point, it just became untenable to, to wait for the video. Uh, they would have had to delay the hearings and things like that. And they thought they had a strong enough lineup. So they just, you know, went ahead with the planned date, essentially. It's interesting because about an hour ago, Lou Elizondo told me he did send a video and he did send it to someone that was involved. But for whatever reason, it wasn't played. Um which is interesting. So I That's don't know. Very what... interesting. Yeah. yeah too. Yeah. I'll, I'll get back to Ronnie on that because you know there might have been something that he didn't say because it was a public thing and he doesn't want anyone yeah. to feel blamed. You know. Uh, without going into detail, uh, speaking to Ronnie about it myself about an hour ago again, because um, I've not said you know oh can I see all this stuff on? It's nothing juicy, but th- there may have been individuals involved or indirectly or directly that maybe didn't want certain people involved in the hearings, and there's a possibility that video was sent but just not played so it's a little bit difficult to work out what exactly happened but take it from what it's worth lou did send a video did did ronnie say that as well ronnie sorry ronnie doesn't know that a video was received we'll just say that much but there was number of people that that could have been sent to that yeah, so it's a little bit of an odd one, and it's worth addressing because, yeah, everyone was expecting, you know, Robert Salas and Luella Zondo, part yeah. of these hearings, a video was being sent, and then there was, you know, apparently all they got was a text from Lou, which was would be really odd, you know, that I've received a text message. That's very Chris Mellon on Rogan. Um, yeah, I was just thinking of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, but that, yeah, so uh, if we hear any more about that, then... I am chasing something up if we can get any more on it. But I mean, it's it's come and gone now, but a lot of people were asking about it. And I think people skipping through the event were wondering, oh, where's Lou Elizondo's part? And yeah, that's that's what happened. Yeah, so absolutely. maybe there is a little bit of conspiracy to this one as much as we try yeah, to get away from we, it. We just revealed it live on air, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So interesting, but but who knows? Um, but yeah, that, that would have been good to have that. But this, this was very much Brazil's effort at our citizen effort almost at carrying forward this conversation and for me it seems that it's very much been a massive recap of brazil's history in the ufo subject with cases dates known data points explanations individuals who have been involved in researching speaking about presenting and a summary of here's where we're at here's everything that's happened and then very much a dot 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 ellipses of what's next how to facilitate yes. this conversation forward. There was no, and I think we said beforehand, Ronnie said on my interview with him, and I don't think there was ever any hype that this was going to be a revelatory, revealing event. Revelatory. Revelatory, that's the one. Event that there were going to be videos and images and pictures, and it wasn't ever going to be that. It was a summary and an attempt to get that 
ball rolling in Brazil. And I wonder, in your opinion, Dan, did, did that have any level of success? I think so. I, I've heard from a few different places that it it kind of made the right people ask questions, that the officials that were present, the Brazilian Air Force officials, were taking notes for the whole time. Um, so it certainly seems that they're interested, and I'd hope that it would lead to something tangible. Ronnie himself said that he feels like it's going to, uh, but it almost felt like he didn't want to jinx it by saying what, what he knew completely, you know? Yeah, um, the debrief put up an article uh, written by Micah Hanks uh, where, where Ronnie had a few quotes in there and that, that was something that was mentioned that um, conversations will hopefully be happening between senators and armed forces to discuss the issue and uh, similar legislation like the Gillibrand-Rubio-Gallego amendment may be submitted for approval by Congress. So at the moment, we're, we're taking Ronnie at face value. This is what he's hearing. This is what he's hoping and can can this be moved forward into a more official phase and an approach? Um, there were some uh, cases mentioned, Dan, weren't there, that uh, you've got a little bit of detail on as well, if people do want to go digging into the hearings to, to hear a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. They, I, I noted down a few. There was a few controversial ones as well because they got into what we describe as the woo cases. Yeah. Uh, but it's part of the culture there. It's very different to hear. I experienced a little taste of that when I was in Colombia. And people are a lot more open to talking about what we would deem woo as just a fact of life. So it didn't really surprise me to hear those ones talked about. And I'm kind of glad that they include in them because for better or worse, they need to be addressed and, and confirmed or you know taken out of the pile. So the, the first one that stood out was the, it's called the Night of the UFOs, and the Brazilian government actually have an official website on this, which we'll put in the show links. So you can go in and you can read it, you can see the photos. But there were at least 21 confirmed UFOs um, detected by military and civilians up to one and a half kilometers in size. And one of them was chased by a civilian aircraft uh, that had an Air Force colonel in it, and armed jets were scrambled to pursue, uh, you know, what we would call the phenomena. And they say that it displayed intelligent behavior by avoiding the the fighter jets um, and kind of, I guess the word would be jamming uh, their, their radars. The airport did a press conference on it and a report and they're all available to the public and they're all on the, the link in the description. Then we have the Kalaras incident, uh, which is known as Operation Saucer. This was in 77. And there was an official investigation done on this where basically a lot of civilians were being attacked and injured by various different things, you know, balls of light, craft, things like that. There were a lot, there was a lot of confidential information, uh, including like pictures, videos that was actually released by the commander who kind of did a whistleblower moment, uh, Colonel Hollander, um, in, in 1997. And he killed himself days after revealing it, sadly. So I loved seeing that put here because that gentleman clearly you know put put his life on the line uh whether you want to go into conspiracies or not it's very interesting that it's there then we have the acre assault in 2014 this was a wave of ufo attacks that occurred on the indigenous tribes of the amazon one reported uh, one document reports a silver craft landing in the center of a tribe shooting light beams that injured a lot of people including a pregnant woman um, who was killed there were investigations done by uh, the Policia Federal, which is basically the Brazil's FBI. And they concluded that although they can't confirm the story, that a cultural effects on the tribe were really deep, that they changed their kind of daily habits and rituals and things like that. So again, that 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 one made me think of uh, secret machines and the cargo cults. 
and mm-hmm. how these sightings can have an, a deep effect on people's everyday lives. The next one was a Trinidad Island case in 57. This involved naval officers and a whole ship crew on leave seeing a disc disappear into the ocean. Um, or it came out of the ocean, circled around them a bunch of times, and went back into the ocean. There were three pictures taken that were shown, um, and classified naval documents were, were later released to kind of confirm it. Again, one of these ones where clearly it happened. There were a lot of officials that saw it, but where do, where do they go from here? You know, they they almost yeah. need help from you know NASA and the special space satellites and things like that to to look at that area and well, see. Let, what was there. let me ask you, what next then from from all of this data and these presentations and the people involved? What do you see? happening are we going to get those official hearings or is it a case that we may have to wait on other countries doing similar to to build that momentum for for folks to get involved i feel like other countries are gonna kind of come and add to the snowball here because when we're looking at cases outside of america we're suddenly dealing with realistically the possibility of it being US technology. They pour money into this, you know, into black projects. And so a triangle that's seen in Brazil as a, you know, a UAP or a UFO or OVNI could just be, you know, Project Aurora or something like that, or a stealth fighter that's being flown over. So there's certainly that aspect where this is kind of begging to connect with the US efforts that they have been instructed to involve allies and partners, but how deeply they're respecting that wish and actually carrying that out is anyone's guess. Yeah, and Grant Cameron, when I spoke to him last week, and thank you to everyone for the feedback on the Grant Cameron interview, um, or Grant Cameron speaking with me now and again, getting to ask him something. It was a, he's a font of knowledge and the information just kind of comes out, doesn't it? But it was, it was excellent. I love speaking to Grant. Um, he mentions that he's trying to arrange something similar in Canada as well. So again, that would be that would be interesting to see who ne- who would be involved and what would be discussed. And again, it's just adding to that that pile and weight behind the effort. So fingers crossed, we get we get a little bit more coming from that, and we hear if Brazil are going to pursue this in a more formal fashion as well. Um, yeah, which absolutely. Would be interesting. And Absolutely. well done to Ronnie Vernet for keeping people up to date over the last few months on this. And he's definitely a Twitter account you should be following. Um, next up, we were talking about US efforts and someone who was uh, unveiled as the US the UAP task force chief scientist uh, was none other than Dr. Travis Taylor himself of Skinwalker Ranch fame. And of course, other shows, documentaries and uh, a bit controversial for for many because he's he's very much seen as a TV star, I think, to many because of the Skinwalker Ranch role. Uh, it was very timely because literally I had just interviewed Travis days before George Knapp announced this and Travis, you know, basically had his revealing to the world that he was he was in this role. Um I spoke to George and Colm Kelleher about this. That interview is about to drop on the free feeds in the next couple of days in two parts. And I asked them, do you think it's it's fair some people's reaction? It's a little bit tentative on this one because Travis is a very charismatic individual. And you see that, I think, on the show, Dan, don't you? That he's, you know, he's, he's really good at explaining stuff and dumbing down. But to be fair, and this has no slight on him, he's very good at playing to the camera as well on what is still essentially a TV show about a scientific experiment that's going on. So what were your thoughts on when Travis got confirmed or announced as, as the chief scientist? 
I, I was stoked to be honest because you you know you just spoken to him and a lot of the answers that he gave suddenly became a lot more interesting if he was involved in the official effort like talking about caffeine and ADHD medication and the effect that has on the phenomenon I was suddenly thinking well they're looking at that in the UAPTF you know the UAP task force um, also watching Skinwalker Ranch now it's taken on a different feel when he's on screen because yeah you know he does play up to the cameras he's been a staple of some other shows on history where you know he's clearly been invited back because he's good at it he's good at kind of providing that glue in the team but there's no denying that travis is very qualified he's a very smart individual he has a whole yeah. bunch of degrees you know and just because he writes science fiction it's not fair to just accuse him of having these bias and beliefs or to say because we all have those things but to say that he would let them affect his work travis even in the dod statement they said that he was part of the task force so there were other experts and things that he would consult there so you know what we don't want someone that consults experts when they need to like that that seems like the smart idea to me uh it, it's literally just that that bias piece that people keep hanging on to and i said the other day and everyone had a bit of fun with it where you know we'll put we put a mug on a table without thinking about it and that's a bias right there that's a belief that we have that the table's going to hold the mug and maybe someday it'll do something different but it's still one that's just innate to us and it's sometimes good to be aware of those biases yeah i think with travis taylor if you take away the name and you take away the resume that says skinwalker ranch on there or any of those documentaries and you just list his academic academic you know qualifications his his papers his research and his you know list of peers and you said to someone how does that look for the, the resume of someone involved with the uap task force you would say yeah that's absolutely what you'd be expecting so i think to now know that he is that person that's a little bit like watching undercover boss or yes. when you're watching skinwalker <laughs> ranch that oh it's there's there's that guy and you know you brandon fugel and others have confirmed they had no idea because travis taylor was under nda and couldn't have those discussions so maybe they had you know their, their own ideas and i know a few people in the ufo community have said to me since that they had their leanings or their thoughts that that might be who that was which is fair and people have their sources but um we, we all know now and uh for me it's interesting how we go forward from this and Travis has opened himself up to a whole lot of scrutiny now, which I'm sure he would have known. And we have seen how, especially on social media, which Travis, to be fair, isn't too active on, yeah. how this is how this impacts and how people react to these people being involved in the UFO community and the UFO conversation. Again, just to remind folks, I had a listener emailing me today asking when the interview with Professor Simon Holland was. And I just had to let them know that, you know, as I've said on the podcast a while back, um, we'd lined up an interview with Simon Holland. He was requested by several listeners to be a guest on the podcast. Um, British-based, you know, scientist, interesting guy, very intelligent, getting involved in the UFO conversation in some of his YouTube videos. And he agreed to come on the podcast. And because of what was happening on social media at the time and all the kind of toxic conversation and people arguing back and forward and the attacks, he he declined and chose to cancel the interview. Not a slight on ourselves or the listeners, but he just didn't want to be involved in that side of things, which is really disappointing. And you wonder how many others, like a Travis Taylor who have stayed in the background, could have potentially come forward but didn't 
because they see the reaction online and the keyboard warriors and the arguing and the infighting and the bitterness. And they just say, no, I don't need that. And Travis Taylor could have very much just done that as well. And we could have just kept guessing. But I think it's it's one of those things you don't know what you've got until you don't have it anymore. And again, people can go on about sock puppet accounts and others leaving UFO Twitter, but it would be great to see some people really involved again. And we just don't have that necessarily at the moment uh, because of kind of what's gone on in the last year online. So again, I would just say to folks that when you've got someone like a Travis Taylor who potentially is going to become more accessible, let's embrace it a little bit more and be you know constructive with the questions and and try and get them involved and encourage folks like this to come forward because it's the only way we're going to be able to progress those conversations and and get folks like a, a Jay Stratton on Twitter and Instagram or, you know, doing Reddit AMAs and things like that, which years ago were never in the conversation, but now you can literally have a back and forward conversation with your favourite football star or movie star or, you know, we've got the opportunity to discuss these things with real... Like, I would love to have Eric Davis on Twitter, you know, answering people's questions and having back and forwards. And for all we know, he, he is on Twitter, but we just don't know it's him. Did you get what I mean, Dan? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. We're potentially missing out in a big part of the conversation here, and and it's a very real example of people propagating the stigma. You know, where over the past couple of years since the the New York Times article, that stigma has kind of been pushed away, and it's not gone completely, but pushing people away like this just keeps that in place. It came up when uh, Eric Weinstein was talking to Mick West on Theories of Everything the other day, which was a great conversation. You know, in terms of knowing what the other side is thinking. And they were talking about the idea of debunking and kind of people almost being the UFO police saying, you can't have this conversation. And all it does is it stops people coming forward. It stops people telling us about their stories and their experiences, even if they're telling you a story that they didn't really understand what they were Mm -hmm. seeing or something like that. They're just not going to tell us. Whereas we want Ryan Graves out there. We want Alex Dietrich. You know, how great would it be to have David Fravor on Twitter? But we know what would happen. People would be judgmental instead of curious. There was a whole thing with the Travis Taylor reveal from Science Magazine as well, where basically the journalist who wrote the article took a a Pentagon statement and edited it yeah. and took the complete wrong part. They kind of cut this you know whole paragraph down to one sentence that just fit their narrative. And then that went out to God knows how many people because it's a respected magazine. And unfortunately, you know, I, I'd say at least for me, it damaged their reputation. And they did issue a correction, but it still really wasn't good enough. And that is a journalist that we've seen repeatedly. You know, I, I'll kind of say the word journalist in bunny is there. Mm-hmm. Repeatedly just come out against people. And it just makes you start asking questions as to whether there's a, you know, a very real effort to, to stop this conversation happening. Yeah, like there's like an agenda potentially. And to yeah. be fair, that that's something I ask George and Colm about because they bring that up in the interview I had with them. And they they both go off on that journalist about that piece and that it very much comes across as a hit piece. And they were both, Colm especially, mentioning how respected that science journal is and that it's in libraries around the world and a lot of very respected people read it. And that the vetting done on that article is it's very strange and curious that it managed to get published with the tone and the errors that it actually had within it. And like you say, you can issue a correction, but once it's out there in print, it's out there. 
Yeah, so but you can't take those ones back from a library, right? And suddenly no. update them. So there are going to be people out there even today, even though that's been corrected and you know uh, proven to be a fallacy. There are going to be people reading that incorrect edited statement. And for a journalist, you know that word journalist to have edited a Department of Defense statement, you know that's it's a very or possibly a very real example of of an easily provable piece of the conspiracy. You know, you, you don't necessarily need guys in dark rooms planning this stuff out when you have journalists like that with an agenda. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's fair to say from yourself and myself, Dan, no complaints on Travis Taylor being the as involved as he is with the task force of reporting and, and the efforts going forward, shall we say? Yeah, not at all. I, I was watching the recent Skinwalker Ranch where he, you know, Travis is there shooting laser beams up at what he thinks might be a, an invisible thing in the sky. And I was just filled with glee, thinking I'm watching the guy who was heading up the science of the UAP task force doing live experiments, trying to figure out this phenomena. That's stupidly cool. It's very cool. Um, and speaking of complaints, then, I set that one up for myself. So <laughs> um, we're going to talk about Lou Elizondo's in, um, IG complaint. Uh, this is one that is kind of running in the background. It's one that you've followed a lot more closely than myself. Um what is happening with this at the moment? And just to summarize, what are the kind of main points on on Lou's complaint? Sure. So, so we have two things basically. We have the DoD Inspector General investigation of the Department of Defense's handling of the UAP issue over the years. That's ongoing. That was announced, but. On that day, or we don't have the results for that, but they always do public reports via their website. So at some point, we will see that go up. Um, no idea when it's going to finish, but it's been going a while, so I can't imagine that it's going to take much longer. Then in a separate kind of uh, document, the day that that was announced, Lou Elizondo submitted a formal complaint to the DODIG, and that apparently ha has led to you know an investigation against how they have handled Lou. Nothing like that has been announced, but I don't know if they would announce something so personal. You know, we, we didn't necessarily hear about the Gary Reed investigation before that came to a head. So it might be in that area. But in a nutshell, we have three people named in the complaint. We have Gary Reed, who we already know has been removed from his post. We have Susan Goff, who still is in her post as the spokesperson for the DOD. Uh, she got promotion in the time between when this was filed and we heard about it. And then we have Neil Tipton as well, who was Lou's supervisor. And all three of those supposedly contributed to several things. So the report contains, firstly, a chronological listing of the events that Lou, of Lou's involvement in ATIP. That's really interesting to read. And I was messaging you as I was reading that part because it, it really in detail explains away the confusion between ORSAP and ATIP and what happened there with Lou. You could argue that Lou was the head of ORSAP for maybe like 10 minutes, if that, you know? Um, I, I think I explained it to you like, I worked for Apple Retail, and people would see that as Apple, but it's not part of Apple Inc. So it's a different thing. I can't say that I work for Apple Inc. You know, that kind of thing happened. As soon as Lou took control of that project, he, all the people got let go from ORSAP, and it was shuttered, and they focused on ATIP and the military cases. So it's safe to say that Lou not only did he was he aware of the stranger aspects of things but he also realized how difficult they are to talk about um and to fund so he focused in on 
the thing that he could prove, and that was all the military sightings with multi-sensor systems and things like that. Then we have a detailed listed of the events and actions to substantiate the complaint, uh, all of which Lou says resulted in great personal and professional challenges. So these are the things where we've seen, you know, just these character assassination pieces appear in the media and things like that based on statements that were given by the Pentagon that whether you agree with them or not, they changed their statements from Lou did work with ATIP to he didn't work to ATIP from it did look at UFOs to it didn't look at UFOs. And this flip-flopping just damages someone's reputation. And Lou has always maintained that there's paperwork that shows the truth of this stuff and that the truth is on his side. The third thing is that it points out uh, the evidence that substantiates the claim that there might be a deeper conspiracy within the OSD staff to circumvent DOD policy, rules, regulations, and perhaps even law. And that word perhaps is used. So again, kind of pointing out the conspiracy that for whatever reason, they're trying to stop this conversation happening. Like I say, the complaint may have led to an investigation, but we're not hearing that at the moment. But the important thing is, is there's a page right at the end of the document after all this stuff, and I implore people to go read it. It's about 60 pages long. You read it in an hour or so. But there's a little part where Lou had to sign with his name and the date to say this is the truth and the whole truth. So, and he signed it. And this this is an offense punishable by law because he's submitting this as an official document. I think people need to realize the weight of that as well. One thing I'd like to highlight is that if there's anyone out there listening who has access to something called JWIX, which is kind of a, a shared drive in, in secure space, take a look for something called the Y project, it's letter Y, and then just project. According to the complaint, that is where the ATIP files were. So you'd see things like the, the UFO videos that are alluded to and things like that. I know you can't tell us whether the, you know you see this stuff or not, but just go look for yourself if you can. Now, there's not much more to be said about it because it's an active complaint and we're now just waiting on the resolution of said complaint. But one thing that is in the background and more and more people are starting to discuss online is that Lou has his book, which we're still not sure if it's going to be this year or next year. We know the book itself goes through a vetting process, much like Skinwalkers at the Pentagon does. That can take weeks, months, or, or you know, it could take years. There's no real time scale with it because they could send it back and say, change this, etc. Um how do you think Lou's book ties in with the the complaint in the background? Do you think that Lou is going to be vindicated with what he puts in the book? Or do you think that in terms of the... Because I asked Colm the question outright that can someone who writes one of these books lie in the book? And Colm said, well, technically, yes. If it's not something that and I'm not saying Lou would be lying, but just to clear that up, people keep thinking that, well, whatever Lou puts in the book will be truth. And I would I would believe that as well. Okay, fanboyish or whatever you think, then, you know, he's writing the book, you have to take it at face value. Shameless. <laughs> yeah, sh- shameless. But I asked Colm that, you know, could someone put, you know, something that was false in there and it would get through the vetting process? And he made the point, well, yeah, because you don't necessarily know who's vetting it. It could be a couple of people, someone could vet it, go away, then someone else comes in and during that time and they start vetting parts of it and you don't know what they know to be true or false depending on what, what is in the book. So there's a whole lot of things that things could slip through the net. But do you see this book as being a piece that will vindicate and complement the IG complaint for Lou? 
yeah, absolutely. If, if I if I was the publisher, I would include this IG complaint with the book if I could. It's a public document, so chuck it in there at the back. It's a, it's a good reference document. Not to kind of go, oh, is Lou telling the truth or not? But just to give, it's a very, it's a very dry kind of read, and it still contains an incredible amount of information. So if the book reflects at all what's in this IG complaint, it's going to be explosive. And Lou, Lou has alluded to on several interviews, there's a very specific reason he's writing the book as well. So I keep thinking about all these situations where, you know, he's going to put someone's name in to get them to react or something like that. And, you, you know, kind of canary in the coal mine type situation. It's, it's going to be a real interesting time when that comes out because he's going to be given a lot of context and we'll finally kind of, we've heard a little bit of his background of what he might have done in Afghanistan and things like that. But we're going to hear, it's always, prose is always better, you know, the the book's always better than the film kind of thing in some cases, but you know what I mean? It's just yeah. more extensive. We'll be able to hear loose thoughts on things that happened. Everything about his relationship with Jay Stratton or Axelrod, as we've now found out uh, to, you know, 99.9%. .9 we're going to get a lot more detail in events that we know and a lot more context around all of these events. So I, I think it's going to be explosive and that it's designed to make someone react. If you had to put a bet on it, because people are asking online, do you see it being this year or next year for the book? Next year. Me too. Yeah. yeah. I can't see it. Although Christmas release would be lovely. Um, there's yeah, everyone's secret Santa's done for them. <laughs> Interdimensionally um, delivered. <laughs> oh, speaking of interdimensional, Dan, good segue. Uh, Tom DeLong appeared on Steve-O's podcast. Uh, Steve-O of Jackass fame, as many will, will know him. Um, we had his demons in the past, but certainly turned his life right around. And uh, I didn't actually know he had a podcast, although every big celebrity does now. Um, Tom DeLong uh, and Steve-O being acquaintances chums mates is no surprise given their backgrounds and the time they both became famous on the yeah. scene and blink one eight two jackass of course they met and you know had you know affiliations um they talked about ufos quite extensively on the podcast and steve-o is decent with his conversations very laid back very open and i, I don't think there was anything on there revelatory again i'll use that word because you've told me how to pronounce it properly but <laughs> I think yeah, if you're, I, I, it's wrong for both of yeah. us now. Like. <laughs> There's nothing particularly revealing, um, but I think if it's been a while since you heard Tom DeLong speak on UFOs, or you've not heard anything and looking for where to start, it's probably not a bad interview to jump into. Yeah, because he covers very much the same points he's made in the past. Um, again to run through them without there's not a whole lot of detail we can necessarily go into because it's things we've discussed in the past. But you know, time is parallel, not linear. Um, they're not coming from far away is kind of where he starts and that's something he says more and more as in they're not coming yeah. from other planets or galaxies um, and I think what the producer or the co-host says oh, so they're interdimensional and he says yeah that that's it they're they're coming from a different reality um, or you know a time parallel to ours he uses the analogy of or he says that imagine a technological civilization at the end of their technological cycle whatever he means by that. He says, imagine they could invent like a submarine that could change its voltage, is his wording, and materialize in our reality. That could be what we are seeing. Um, I thought and, it was the, the Philadelphia experiment when he said that. Yeah. Was, you know? <laughs> yeah, not the Tom Hanks movie. Um, <laughs> I used to always get those confused. It was really, as a child growing up, and you hear of the Philadelphia experiment, and then Philadelphia with Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. Um, yeah, it's... 
two strange movies <laughs> to mix up because they're very, very different. Um, good double dig- feature. <laughs> yeah, good double feature. Um, I digress. But yeah, so Tom very much wading in that these aren't coming from other planets. Um, I find that really interesting that he, he seems to stay away in conversations now completely from talking about beings traveling great distances in the universe, whereas you still have folks like, like Chris Mellon who very much talk about extraterrestrials and yeah. that hypothesis and people come at it from different angles that you would tend to think, given the relationship they've had in those discussions, well, they'll all have a very similar idea of what's happening, yet they all seem to have different end games or outcomes in terms of their conversation and what they think might be going on. Let me ask you, Dan, I want to, to discuss this because we know we've talked about it before, Tom DeLong and his his idea that these are interdimensional given what he's heard, learned and, and the people he's spoken to. Would you be disappointed to find out, you know, capital D disclosure happens tomorrow, uh, that there isn't an aspect of other stuff coming from, from other planets and galaxies? You know, if, if, if we have the, the White House lawn conversation and the world leaders come out and say, do you know what? Yes, there are non-human intelligences controlling craft they're coming here um, but there's nothing there's literally no evidence of, of other planets being involved they're coming from a different or a parallel timeline would there be an element of that that would disappoint you a little bit only because of the way you know i grew up gazing at the stars and that's how the x-files was sold and that's that's the idea i was acclimatized to but at the same time and steve and tom talk about it during this interview it is almost like that's easier and less scary to accept because the alternative is is that our locks on our doors don't work anymore. Our windows don't keep us safe. Our houses, you know, they're, they're just penetrable by, mm-hmm. by others that could be watching us at all times. And they, they have some conversations in here about uh, fear feeding these other entities yeah. and our emotions be, being able to, yeah, essentially be a source of nourishment for these. And Tom goes into a few examples, but they, they get a little scary and, when talking about misinformation, Tom says the why of it could be that people feel safe when they think that this thing is super far away and it's a big effort for them to get here. So yeah, whilst, whilst disappointment would be a part of it, I actually think it would make me a little more nervous to have it confirmed that, yeah, my my eyes don't necessarily work and show me everything that's around. <laughs> yeah, he talks about the idea that, you know, we're creating our own reality through our thoughts and feelings and, you know... It, almost in a little bit of, you know, people say you create your own luck. Well, maybe you literally create what happens to you by putting that yep. out there. He says once you manifest an idea of something, that it, it goes out there. It can happen in different ways, shapes, and forms. He uses the example of, you know, a book moving on a shelf. If you see a book moving and you think you see it move, then you're like, huh. But if you see a book moving and it really scares you and frightens you, that emotion manifests itself in a way that that book will fly off the shelf and hit you. And then are you starting to think about, oh, poltergeist activity? Is that where that comes from? And it's there's a part of you manifesting that event because you're connecting with something else that, you know, thinking about the way I kind of thought of it was old switchboards on phones, you know, where you call the operator and they plug you in. And depending how you feel, where you're at in that moment in time and your thoughts and experiences that you get plugged into a channel and there's a reaction and that yeah. book flying off at you or not flying off at you and even going down a really woo, woo route or strange route of, you know, people having like psychic powers or like telekinesis or being able to move things with their mind. Is that where you start tapping into that kind of stuff because you're you're willing it to happen? 
Well, it, it comes up or it's come up with CE5. Some people think that the lights in the sky that people do in CE5 uh, actually come from kind of raw, I guess, psychic powers. But the way that we speak about them is is interesting. We don't have the language to talk about these things. When you were saying then about, you know, you could plug into a different switchboard and suddenly, you know, the the reality where you wanted to be a rock star is what you're in. People talk about timeline jumping and things like that. And the language makes it just sound crazy. But the way that Tom's just explained it is a bit more, it's a bit palatable. more science and palatable. Yeah, absolutely. It's the way that you're communicating the idea. If I say to you, oh, I can jump timelines, that sounds nuts because it's been in sci-fi and everything like that. Whereas if it's more of, yeah, you, you create your own luck, that's, that sounds better. You know, it sounds like I can do work to affect that as opposed to it just being this sci-fi magic. Um, on that, he mentions that, you know, Monsters in California has been made and we've talked about, we're, we're both looking forward to that coming out. I'm really interested to see how Tom DeLong puts these themes all together in one movie that we know we're going to get that TDL humor and that kind of little bit of slapstick immaturity at times. We've seen that from the trailer as well. But do you think Tom can, or Tom DeLong, like I know the guy, that Tom <laughs> DeLong, Mr. DeLong, uh, Mr. D, through Monsters in California or other media vehicles like this, can add to these theories? Do you think he's going to success successfully put out a vehicle that, not the general public who watch it, because I think there'll be a, a limited audience for this film from the general public. I think it's going to be people like me, you, the people listening to this or watching this who are going to pick it up and also Angels and Airwaves, Blink-182 fans and stuff like that. Um, and hello to all the box car racer fans out there. Um, mm-hmm. is it going, those folks, but are, are we going to see something in this and go, oh, that's interesting. Now he's not said that before. Or is it going to be a presentation of all this stuff he's talked about and away we go, oh yeah, he said that. Yeah, I, I think it's the second one more than anything. I don't think it's going to have anything crazy new in it. But then again, I'm always meeting people in the community who, you know, they haven't had the time to sit down and read the Secret Machines books, for example. Yeah. So that's meant to be truth mixed with fiction. So there's a lot of ideas in there that whilst, you know, we might talk about them in really general terms, it kind of goes in depth with, you know, the archaeology aspect of things and the I Ching and the way that the universe reflects the effort that you put into it and you can make it react, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to necessarily set the UFO community on fire. But it just might, it's an easier way to get everybody up to speed and on the same page, I think. You know, yeah. a, an hour and a half movie is a lot easier than asking someone to read a book for 20 hours. But one might lead to the other, right? And and then the Secret Machines series is being developed currently by Legendary Pictures, who did things like Interstellar and things like that. So yeah. they're used to super lofty uh, ideas that, you know, usually permeate sci-fi. And again, a hat tip to Marvel as well, because they seem to be inadvertently spreading a lot of the ideas that are present in kind of the UFO subject in the Wu'er areas, Um, like Dreamwalkers. There's literally an Angels and Airwaves album called Dreamwalker that's all about that and a short film that goes along with it. So, yeah, I I certainly think that movies and TV is a great way to get these ideas out there. Close Encounters of the Third Kind, we look back on now and realize, wow, that was effective. But how many more people saw Batteries Not Included? but didn't necessarily think of it in that way. And now they mm-hmm. get to reframe it and think, oh, okay, that's an autonomous AI coming to our planet to help us. That's a very cool way to depict that idea. Do you know what could be quite cool? Is, and this is, I've not even got this noted down, but um, if if we could get like Close Encounters of the Third Kind remade 
and I'm not usually a big one for remaking classic films at all, but that could be an interesting one to reimagine now. I like, I like the word reimagine as opposed to remake. I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt a bit dirty when you said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to just remake it, but you reimagine it and update it a little bit. And, you know, could someone like Tom DeLonge get involved in a project like that, you know, by the rights? And yeah, who knows? Could be interesting. Just maybe, a thought. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's his idea. And we've got Nope coming out soon, the Jordan Peele movie as well, uh, that is very much a UFO movie. And there's a theme park aspect to that too. They're leaving the set there so you can go visit the theme park and they're bound to have a nighttime show there or something. And yeah, yeah. I want to go and see see one of the UFOs. So listen, slight aside on that, which is I think a positive for, for Nope, for anyone who's who's not heard or seen the, the trailers available now. It comes out in the UK on the 22nd of July. Um, I went to see Thor in the cinema today. And behind me, in the row behind me, were a couple of kind of older geeks um, who were commenting all the way through the trailers and the adverts and stuff like that. And one of those guys was there who nothing impressed him and everything was like beneath him. And uh, funnily enough, when all the trailers were on, the one he reacted to positively, like I say, I was literally right in front of him, uh, was nope. Because the trailer came on and it's got those kind of quick flashes that hides it. It didn't have the picture of the UFO that some of the trailers have. Yeah. But you see the person getting sucked up into the sky and the horror aspect of it and the nope and big, you know, white and black lettering. And he just went, huh, that looks quite interesting, actually. So I was like, ah, so if you've got a trailer which is meant to grab an audience and not ruin the film and show you everything that's in it, which too many trailers do these days, yeah, I thought it was quite interesting to hear a member of the general public behind me. And I really wanted to turn around and say, it's a UFO movie, but yeah, I thought I would. <laughs> but to hear him say, oh, yeah, that looks interesting, Oh, well, I think that is a trailer doing its job because you've got a guy sitting there who is quite critical of life by the sounds of it. He wasn't happy with banking adverts that were being played. He sees a movie that I know is going to be about UFOs and he was like, oh, that looks interesting. So yeah, um, well done to to Jordan Peele and the makers of that because at least the trailer has done its job and I think that guy's going to go and pay to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And then he'll watch the film and kind of probably go from that to researching the ufo subject and now when he types in ufo into google it's going to correct him to uap and he'll be seeing the navy tic tac video and hearing ryan graves and Alex dietrich talk about like that's a that's a really cool kind of set of dominoes to make fall for someone and it's it's a lot smoother than it used to be a couple of years ago right yeah. and i what say a couple of years ago like pre-youtube pre yeah. you know when you had to go to the library to get anything about it and they had pictures of the, the book that I mentioned in the last show that I saw in Blackpool that I was like, oh, I haven't seen that book since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. On the front of it, literal clouds. Like now we know they're clouds, but then when that book was made, they didn't. So it was on the front cover as a UFO photo. No, I would hope as part of that search, he types in UFO to Google, he finds that UFO podcast and he dives into the archives and listens. But what he's more likely to find when he types in UFO podcast is Lex Friedman and Joe Rogan. And just to touch on that, Dan. Good segue. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Just to touch on that, Lex Friedman had Joe Rogan on as a guest for his 300th show. I've not had a chance to watch or listen to this one yet. Um, after this, Lex Friedman has went to Ukraine and he's been out there documenting a, a few different things given what's going on. Um, but they do discuss as part of that interview um, UFOs. Now, Dan, you said to me, having watched it, it's not necessarily bigger explosive. It's just a general conversation. Yeah. However, for me, the big takeaway here is you've got Lex Friedman, who has hosted numerous people regarding the UFO topic on his podcast. We know Joe Rogan has done the same. They get audiences of millions on uh, listening to each of those shows or watching those shows and they've come together and still found time to discuss the ufo topic 
which I think is great that that's happening. And again, that just gets more eyes and ears on the, the, the subject and the conversation, particularly yeah. that 18 to 35, 40 demo that is really important, especially in terms of voting and politics and getting representatives, whatever, whatever country you're in, talking about the conversation and aware of the conversation and influencing folks to get back into the UFO topic, which more and more people get in touch with me and say, I've just got back into the topic or I've not been bothered about this topic since I was a kid, but I heard Rogan, I heard Lex Friedman, I heard XYZ. So that's really interesting that they're still doing that because every time they have that conversation, you know, like Bono clicking his fingers, you know, a fairy gets her wings, someone gets into the <laughs> UFO topic. So for me, that's that's the big positive takeaway from that as well, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. He, the, Joe, Joe Rogan expressed that he had, you know, he was starting to question what he'd been told about stuff. But the point is, he's thinking about a mystery, right? Like, no mm-hmm. one has answers to this. It's a genuine question. So if people are asking questions, good, come on in. Let's get this sorted. Yep, especially some of the people that we want to see on on Joe Rogan that, you know, that that's a huge audience. Not that I think he'll be the best interview for some of those people, but I think there are people that I'd love to hear Lex Friedman interview, but also Joe Rogan will have a different interview with them and so on and so forth. So so yeah, very interesting that they're having that conversation and, and keeping the keeping that going. Uh, Dan, next one for you. Do you want to talk about James Webb or the NDAA language? We're getting near the end of this now. Do, I feel like we always save James Webb for, for last, like a relaxing discussion. So let's do the NDAA. That's quite a, a lofty one. Cool. So again, Dan, this is one that you follow along with uh, D. Dean Johnson. Uh, who has been uh, posting quite a lot on the subject in a lot of detail, keeping people up to date, um, really good at getting the scoops, I think, on these bills and when there's an update, when there's a language change, when there's a possible update. And I know that's something you follow quite closely and, and you've spoken also with uh, Dee Dean himself. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Just, you know, if he's listening, I'm not sure if he is, but thank you so much. Um, he He's always great to take time to, even if he's having a busy day, to just email me back and explain the answer to the stupid question that I've asked, you know, because I just don't know the terms in the legislation. Yeah, he does updates and things like that, so he's worth following. But in, in a nutshell, it's basically, people can remember last year when the NDAA was started, and there were a whole host of amendments as we went through, through different people like uh Senator Gillibrand and Marco Rubio, and they all had different things that they wanted to cover with the UAP language. It started in a certain way, and the language was very different by the time it got to the actual NDAA vote. We thought it was going to be discussed on the House floor. It wasn't. It actually went through smoothly. So I'm kind of hoping for the same this year. But at the moment, we've got a few different trains on a few different tracks. And we've got the IAA 2023, which will be you know, process. That one was announced by uh, Senator Mark Warner and is from the Senate Intelligence Committee. That one talks about essentially a new acronym. So instead of UAP or UFO, it's Unidentified Aerospace Undersea Phenomena, which is just an easy way of explaining transmedium because people might not know what that word means. Of course, it's leaving out uh, a certain domain because it's not just aerospace, undersea. There, there are all these other mediums that are kind of left out there. Can I just make a point on that? And I've sure. seen a few people uh, online discussing this, and, and Chris Sharp was involved in the conversation at one point. I think you were and a few others. At the end of the day, and some people don't necessarily like this, and maybe I'm going back on things I've said in the past, I don't know, but this is called That UFO Podcast and not That UAP Podcast because mm-hmm. 99% of the population know them as UFOs. 
And whether people like that or not, that's not going to change. UAP might become more involved or known in the conversation, but WWF is still the term people use for wrestling, no matter what the wrestling is that's on the TV or being discussed. Even when the WWF lost a court battle to the World Wildlife Fund to change their name to WWE, People now, 20 years later, still say, oh, WWF or the WWF as wrestling, even though it changed a long time ago. Um, That, for me, is the way the UFO language is. And I saw some people saying about that new acronym and new term, call them UAP, USOs, everything else under the sun. We have to just accept that UFO shouldn't be a dirty word or, or language people are scared to use because it's... It helps a little bit reduce some of the stigma to get into the conversation when you say UAP. But at the end of the day, I think you still have to, you know, yeah, it's UFOs. And and people always say, you know, if I say UAP to someone that hasn't spoken about it or isn't thinking about it, they'll always say, what do you mean? And I'll go, UFOs. And they go, oh, okay. So we should just start with UFOs. Like, I understand that it is the official term UAP to talk about it internally to reduce Mm -hmm. the stigma. But like you say, we all know what we're talking about. So let's just say it. You know, and given what's come out and what we are discussing now, and and the the events and the last couple of years and the progress, I think people should kind of reclaim that a little bit and be happy to say, yeah, UFOs, because yeah, now absolutely. you can, oh UFOs, oh, and they might eye roll, but yes, but have you heard? And you can talk about any number of things that have happened since, and and that's the substance, isn't it? You know, yeah. the, it's whether there's no point in arguing and saying, oh, well, they're not flying, they're vectoring, or they're using gravity bubbles. We 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 don't know. We want to figure out the mystery and. People understand that thing in the sky. You know, we, we say the term, there's a there, there, often. What we're talking about is a UFO. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Just It just came up there when you mentioned the, the new acronyms and stuff as oh, well. It's a, so It's a great point. So they talk about um, increasing transparency and promoting efforts to reform the declassification process, as well as protections for whistleblowers, which is where we get to the kind of immunity stuff. Then in another amendment that came along uh, at a different time, a, a bit later, they proposed basically to take the the task force away from the DOD and have it housed. Um, let me just find my notes here. Basically move it out of the DOD and into the wider net so that it could actually be held accountable and was a joint program between all of the different departments. That would effectively have a reboot on the task force, which... A lot of people would support because you know they're not they're not very happy essentially with those hearings and what the the job that the AOI MSG are doing. So we can already see in that legislation it's reflecting the frustration with those hearings. So even if you didn't like those hearings, it was functional because now we've actually got language to address some of the the tomfoolery that went on. Then we've got the oh, and there was a proposed name change as well in there. So we should be mm-hmm. getting hopefully a new office with a new name. Um, then we've got the Gallagher-Galejo Amendment, and this one's all about immunity. And there's been conf- some confusion with this one because a lot of people think that it means that people can suddenly go and just spill the beans in a public hearing. That's yep. not what this is. What this is, is it, they want to set up a secure system within AOI-MSG where people who are working in classified projects can legally and safely and not you know, uh, almost damage national security by putting their stories in the pot submit classified information so if someone is say for example eric davis is a good example he he has a past where he's definitely worked in certain programs that yeah. would 
look to people much like, you know, studying crash debris and things like that. He would be able to go to this system, submit his reports securely for congressmen to read who could read them securely. And then suddenly they're not just talking about stories anymore. They can actually talk to somebody who previously to, to it passing, which I would expect to be around Christmas like it was last time, just wouldn't be able to talk to them at all. And this language covers contractors as well. So we'd be looking at the bass employees and things like that. And of course, pilots who might say fly a black project and encounter something other while they're doing it. We, we know that in the 40s, when they were doing these new, this nuclear testing, the UFO supposedly, a lot of people think they showed it first there, but it goes way back. But it seems like they, they like being around the cutting edge of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So who knows, you know, someone flying a, a stealth project kind of at the edge of space could have encountered some of these things. They're like the early adopters of the, the civilizations that are out there. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah. some new tech. Yeah, I'll get involved in that. Absolutely. And and yeah, when those people come down or those beings come down, they think that we all are just shaped like planes instead of people because that was the first thing they saw. That's what we yeah. do. But it just, yeah, it just gives them immunity. Now, there's some interesting stuff coming up with that because it's on the House floor for debate uh, on the 12th, and then they get to choose it on the 14th. That's of July. So if you're in the US, call your representatives. And if you're anywhere else in the world, tweet them. Go on Facebook and let them know that you want this legislation to go in. Just to repeat it, it's uh, called HR 7900, and you, you want them to include the Gallagher-Galejo Amendment. I'll include a, a link uh, with the show description to basically... Uh, Katie Howland wrote, wrote a script for people calling in America that was aimed at Republicans and Democrats because obviously they care about different things. I was just about to ask you to, to give that a mention there for, for Katie's uh, call to arms on Monday the th 11th of July. Uh, yes, that's right. It moved from the Tuesday. Yeah, it was, it's Monday that's now, right. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll include a link to my tweet that kind of has those things there and tells you exactly what you need to do to get involved. And you can also update the spreadsheet for Katie so we can have a good idea of how many people got involved as well. Point is, is just to let them know that you want this addressed. That's it. They're your representatives. They don't know what you want unless you talk to them about it. If you're into this mystery, get in touch and let them know. And listen, there is no bad day for people to do that. If, if no matter what country you're in, if you're UK, US, Australia, Canada, Ireland, Sweden, whatever else you are, if you don't get involved in any one of these, you know, rallies or, you know, phone homes or, or like Katie's putting this together to get everyone to do it at one time for like a level of impact. If you don't get a chance to do it, that's fine. Do it on Tuesday, do it on Wednesday, do it in Absolutely. four weeks' time, do it on the 22nd of December at half past one on a Tuesday afternoon because you're bored and it just comes to mind. Do you know what? I think I'm going to write a letter or an email or a tweet. There's no bad time to do it. Just get involved. Just It helps the conversation. And you never know that on Monday, maybe a thousand people email, tweet, get in touch with representatives, and it has a level of impact. But you don't know that on that random day you get in touch with your elected representative, that that letter or email arriving on their desk or their computer doesn't have the impact that everything else didn't. So yeah. that, that could sway. It could just be that time that they're picking up, you know, correspondence and, oh, that's interesting. And it snowballs from there. You, you almost want to get them to a point where they're eye rolling, like, oh, another UAP email. Because at that point, they've noted how many people are interested in this. And it, it's getting to the, so I can't remember who pointed it out, but if you look at the original release of like the Tic Tac video and stuff like that, that has millions of views. Millions mm -hmm. of views are millions of votes. So this is going to become a really interesting issue now we're talking about national defense. And I know there are other things going on in the world, but 
there are senators talking about this. There are representatives talking about this. So it, it's not it's not going away. We like to see the ketchups out of the bottle. It's you know I'm I'm, I'm covered. Yeah, keep smacking the bottom of that bottle, folks. <laughs> there you go. If you like that in the Scottish accent, enjoy. Um, James Webb. Ray- Go over some key dates. So there are just oh, four yeah, things Dan, yeah. this year. So September, uh, we're looking at a second classified quarterly report. That's based on the IAA that was passed. We're also looking at a classified semi-annual briefing based on the NDAA. So a lot of committees will get updates from the AOI MSG then. Then 31st of October, which is Halloween, we get our second report. Uh, that will be a public report. There'll no doubt be arguments about the length of it and what it contains and so on and so forth. But Halloween is the date that the public are going to get something. And then in December, there'll be the third classified quarterly report. So there are a lot of moments where senators and representatives can go, hold on, this isn't working right. Let's create a law to change this and try and shake things up a bit. Yeah. And unfortunately, those classified reports that are even the classified briefing that happened at the end of the hearings, we've never really had anything leak from or come out of. So we can't really expect anything on those dates to, to happen or come out or even kind of trickle down. So or the best we can hope for is when that 31st of October hits and we get the public briefing, our public report, that there, there's something in there to chew over. So, yeah, don't Absolutely. get our hopes up on any of those classified dates revealing anything as such. Um, they're, they're not for us, as, as we, it says we do in the title. Have, um, people like Tim Burchett who will talk about, he, he made a statement yesterday saying that the things he's seen has you know, blown his mind. So... That's the most we've heard about those classified briefings. But that, for me, is enough to go, well, why why can't we loosen up the declassification process and release a few of these videos so everyone, including scientists who can actually tackle this, have a better idea of what we're dealing with? Absolutely. Um, James Webb update, 12th of July, you've mentioned before, Dan, um, is the big date for us to get the the first images, um, proper images from the James Webb telescope. The test image that um, I retweet last week that um, came out online was incredible. It showed us, you know, some stars looked phenomenal. It showed us just points of light everywhere that are just galaxies and galaxies and galaxies and galaxies. Um, And for a test image, I think they've said again, this uh, piece of equipment is performing well beyond any expectations already. So, it's, it's hard not to get a little bit carried away with what we might see on the, the 12th of July in terms of a real image, isn't it? Well, the, the images we've seen so far, like you say, they've been test images from different instruments. The one that was released this week was from the Fine Guidance Sensor. And that is not even a piece of equipment that is meant to be taking pictures. It's literally meant to just point the telescope at the target that they actually want to image. So to see that kind of result from something that's not meant to be a scientific instrument is just incredible. That's also in infrared, so it has like this orange hue to it, and there there are uh, these diffraction spikes that are literally there because of the way the mirrors are shaped. Those kind of things are essentially what they're working out when they're saying we're processing the data. They're getting rid of those spikes, and they're looking at what's behind the spikes and seeing essentially what's there and correcting the color for them. So what we see when they release these images will be much, much better than what we're seeing from that instrument that you retweeted. Or if you're you know, on YouTube, you can see the thumbnail. Uh, that's the image. It's an incredible image anyway. So yeah. to think that it's going to be better, phew, my God. 
Question for you, though, Dan. So the target locations have been revealed. Um, it's the Carina Nebula, which is 7,600 light years away. WASP-96b Spectrum, which, as everyone all knows, is a gas giant, 1,150 light years away. The Southern <laughs> Ring Nebula, one of your favourites, Dan, 2,000 light years away. And Stefan's Quintet, which is a galaxy group, 290 million light years away. And SMACS-0723, everyone's favourite, a gravitational lensing galaxy cluster, are we getting five different images, each of those? Are those all images that are going to be, or all locations within the one image? Have you got any idea how that kind of breaks down in terms of what we can expect? Because I saw that and I was like, oh, th- that's that's some incredibly different things to be looking at. Yeah, so essentially we're going to get a bunch of cropped and zoomed in images of these places. So they'll all be separate images. I would say we're going to get at least five based on what they've said. And they're all very different things. So we can kind of see essentially what science can start being done. The SMACS, uh, S-M-A-C-S, that one's interesting because they're using gravitational lenses to see objects further than it, which it's essentially like a magnifying glass. It's kind of like a magic trick they use to see a lot further back into the universe. And the further we see out, the further back in time we're kind of looking. So we can start seeing those you know, primordial stars and black holes that maybe were there at the beginning of the universe and understanding a bit of where we came from. The real interesting one is WASP-96b, which is a spectrum of a, a planet. Now, a lot of people are kind of like, oh, it's a gas giant, so there's not going to be life. I need to be very clear. We are not going to get pictures of aliens mowing their lawn from this telescope. That's not what this is. It's infrared, so it's looking at a certain wavelength of light. What we might see in this spectrum, it's like a, an atmospheric fingerprint. So depending on what chemicals are present in the atmosphere, because different levels of different chemicals will block out certain parts of the spectrum, they can see whether there are perhaps maybe biological processes taking place or in an incredible turn of events, if there are industrial processes taking place with our planet, we pollute the air. So if you were using the James Webb telescope to look at us, you'd be able to see, hold on a second, there seems to be something producing chemicals that shouldn't be there. And yeah. as you know, we're comparing it to Earth as well. So we're looking for life as we know it. And as we know, life as we know it is broadening every day because we keep finding life in places that we thought it couldn't be. So it's going to be real interesting to get a first look at an exoplanet's uh, spectral readout and to start really thinking about the science that goes behind that. We're looking further back in time and into the universe than ever before. And it's just, it's incredible. It's, it brings to mind, you know, Lou used the word somber to describe something else, but this mm-hmm. is going to be a real somber moment for me. We're looking into the abyss and it tends to look back. Um. I've seen a few people mention online, and I know some of you familiar to the podcast will have heard us say this before, but this isn't a piece of equipment that is going to find pictures of UFOs. Um, I've seen no. someone mention that, oh, what if we saw lots of you know little objects dotted about? That I think it'd be fair to say, Dan, the only way we would get you know some sort of UFO in any of these pictures would be if there was something that had sat stationary that was probably planet-sized, like a Death Star, and you know, hadn't moved for a long, long time. It may show up as something on the picture, but we're not going to be seeing flying saucers coming across the screen here because it's not how this equipment works and it's not what it's looking for. It's very much like you say, finding chemical makeup, you know, changes in light and things like that. And what we're going to get is just a picture of the universe that just hopefully in a way that what I hope to get from this and other people is that 
again, it just reminds folks how how big, which is probably the wrong word to even use because infinite. it's not even, yeah, it's not even big, it's infinite. And then what is infinite? You know, how can something not have an end? But, you know, how, how huge the universe is and what we should and could be exploring. And again, as a little slap down to people like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who has had a wonderful rebuttal from, is it Stephen Colbert? It is, yeah, yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was fantastic. No if you can make a note, Dan, for me to put the link for that in, um, he gets his ass handed to him by Stephen Colbert. Um, and Never he, seen he, Asylum before. You know? Yeah, he does his laugh, his celebrity laugh, doesn't he, when he doesn't know what to say, but he can't, you know. It's the equivalent of, you know, when you see an award ceremony and you don't win and they do the clap, like, oh, yeah, the smiling clap, like Joey does in Friends. It's that but for an astrophysicist or physicist who doesn't know what to say because someone's made a point that's perfectly correct and they don't like it. And he just kind of politely laughs it off. Um, yeah. And it's kind of Avi Loeb's point, right? Just, they, they're talking about Oumuamua just to explain it for people that, that won't you know, have time to go look. Yeah. And Neil uh, is explaining that it just went around the sun and kind of came back. And Colbert rightly says, well, just because it's using gravity and it fell you know, I can lift this pen and let it go. And that's using gravity to hit the table, but it was still let go by an intelligent being. Yeah. So we need to keep that possibility on the table. And he's absolutely right. And until you scratch it off, you can't say that it's not that. And there were a lot of peculiar things about Omo. We did other shows about them and you spoke to Abby, so I won't go into it. But yeah, it's a, it, it was a really good bit of science communication from Colbert against who is perhaps one of the best science communicators on the planet with a closed mind. Absolutely. And to finish up, Dan, this kind of bumper breakdown, we've covered a lot of bases and these will be back to being more regular folks. Apologies for the, the radio silence the last few weeks. Life gets in the way sometimes. Um, it was the Roswell 75th anniversary just passed on the 8th of July. Um, lots of retweets of the famous newspaper front page and discussion. Dan, just, just to ask you, because we have to certainly talk about it, it's, it's one of those first cases, if not the first case you hear about as a kid. Um, getting into the UFO subject, what what is the place that Roswell has in modern day ufology or the UFO topic? Where, where does it sit for you now? It, it's almost become this. We we talk about the Kenneth Arnold sighting over Mount Rainier as the start of modern ufology, but I think that honor belongs to Roswell now you know it, it's almost a household name of UFO landings and, and crashes and things like that everybody knows what it was and everybody knows that there was a bit of message changing and I, I think it's sad because I'm not convinced we'll ever know what it was because back then you know you had to make a photocopy of paperwork for it to exist twice and, and that was kind of a big ask back then it wasn't as easy as now so a lot of documents that would maybe confirm what we would like them to confirm, they would have just been shredded or set fire to. The the people involved are probably all passed away now. And every time they do a, a television show to kind of go, oh yeah, you know, we're celebrating the 75th anniversary of Roswell. I don't know about you, but I react with a little bit of an eye roll because I'm just like, what what can you find that's new? And every time I watch these shows, there's there's not really anything. It's just it's just a you know a headline to a retelling yeah it's yeah. a retelling of the story and that we and i'm not know sure well. it's getting better each time either you know it's kind of getting diminishing returns um which is why i i'm looking forward to nope because it could kind of you know summarize a, a an event like that and really make us imagine how strange it would have been back then 
Yeah, Roswell for me, the, the place that it has is, is a fascinating event. It's kickstarted a lot of conversations and interest and fascinations for, for especially young people getting involved in the topic and the conversation. It's a it's a fantastic story and narrative of something came from somewhere else, crashed, um, there was there were bodies retrieved, they weren't human, you know, we've got this incredible technology, and there was a big cover-up. Uh, and, and it goes from there. And like you say, Dan, and I've said before on the podcast that so many people involved, if not all of them, are now deceased. We now have the grandchildren of the people involved who are deceased. And like you say, it's like so many of these events that are, are part of the lore and myth and history of the subject, which are fantastic and should be preserved and kept. But how many books can you release on? And I won't name, I'm thinking of one particular event. You know, how many books can you release on an event? That happened so long ago, and new witnesses are still cutting. You I probably won't guess that. Yeah, uh, new witnesses are still. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> um, ends in Ula. Um, new, new witnesses are still coming forward, and you're like, what? Fifty years after the event, really? Okay. And at that point, there is a case of you know memory, and you're not talking about a pilot who saw something, or even a civilian who saw something a couple of years ago. You're talking about people who, in their twenties, are now in their seventies and eighties, and you know they've lived a life. And I have memories as a kid and from even last year, a couple of years ago, that are slightly altered just because of time, you know, and that's kind of what happens with these. And yeah, like yourself, I don't have any great incline to go and watch any Roswell documentaries now that are being made. Um, I don't think there's anything new to glean from them. And when people talk about, you know, that even the congressional hearings, oh, let's bring up Roswell. None of the people involved in the cover up are alive anymore. And like you say, that the shredding that would have happened back then would have been someone writing something down. And I imagine halfway through, the door gets open, some army general walks in, takes the paper out the hand, rips it up there and then bins it. Yeah. That's it. That was if, the if shredding. they even wrote stuff down, yeah. right? Like, you That's know, there's chalkboards that you could just wipe clean. You could have conversations where you don't even write stuff down. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not like now where you could have these spy gadgets that are just around, yeah. you, you know? Yeah, it's it's too far gone for anything new to be credible unless you literally had an official government document pulled from some vault somewhere that said Roswell and had a load of information on it. That's the only real way you could take something away as being, oh, there's a document from 40 or 50 years ago or there's a video testimony that was filmed in the, the 60s from someone involved, you know, like a, a Jesse Marcel or someone like that. So... And, and let's be honest as well, if that did happen and they found a document like that, the community would still tear it apart and say it yeah. was fake, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, which which is all going to happen. So for me, it's a very romantic story and it was one that very much it's worth mentioning the anniversary. I was going to release a short episode on the day of, oh, it's the 75th anniversary of Roswell, but I thought, I'm speaking to Dan in a few days anyway for the breakdown. What have I got to add other than a story everyone knows? Again, it's like remaking the movie The Titanic. You know, what else can you put in there that actually happened? Well, probably nothing. You know, the old the, the old lady doesn't actually exist on that boat. Pro- everything probably else, the so. only thing they could do to make The Titanic interesting in a remake now would be to have it not sink, which kind of defeats the whole point, right? Yes. And <laughs> on that, um, we are sinking at the end of this podcast, Dan. That, <laughs> um, but what we'll do is very quickly, I just want to read a few listeners' thoughts, Dan, on, on Roswell and sort of what it means to them. So just bear with me, Dan, while I quickly find this and it saves you any editing. Well, let, let me just jump in and I'll just oh. kind of do, I've got two points here. So Australia, um, the DOD has been discussing UAP internally and they prepared a 
uh, eight-page brief paper for the incoming chief of the Air Force. Grant Levac, bless him, on Twitter, give him a follow. He he got this through FOIA. And again, very much they're following the US lead, but it shows actual official interest. And in Australia, we have things like the Min Min Lights, and there's a lot of indigenous tribe stories that involve beings that are not from here. So that's real interesting that they're starting to get the ball moving as well. And then in Japan, we have the UFO Laboratory. They did their first yearly kind of summary press conference, and they presented 452 reports, 125 images, and 24 videos that were confirmed in the lab analysis to be genuine unknowns. They couldn't figure them out. And they actually spoke about plasma a lot at their press conference and identified areas with maybe quartz in the ground that were very kind of Hestalan. And so you've got that mentioned in the the British UFO report as well, plasmas, things like that. So it's interesting that the conversation is starting to really happen on an international scale, and they're finding similar trends in these things. So yeah, it's great. Australia, Japan, Canada, US, Brazil, like it's starting to snowball. And and I really hope that we see some lesser known places, you know, like India and and that side of things, Mm. um, start talking about the UFO history. So a few listener points then to finish off. UAP Focus said that it's the origin point of a mystery which has befuddled so many through obfuscation, misinformation and inadequate data, meaning that we are only just a little further down the road when we should be in the next time zone by now at least. Um, Danny Molston says, as I get older, I think it could have been something mundane that crashed, but the government went with the flying saucer angle to scare our enemies into thinking we had alien tech high level chess i want it to be something special and maybe it was but i'm not tied to it uh brett clark said um i should watch six days in roswell again if you haven't seen it it's a gem and it's from the creator of trekkies uh trey commas says this was a a, this was a decision made to to conceal for an entire generation i hope it was the right call as we discover the stories on past heroes of american secrecy Um, Adonis says, to me, it's a great example of how something quite large can come out of something very small, i.e. crashed military balloon leads to tourism industry, arguments, beliefs, mythology. Um, Mike says simply, Roswell is ufology. Um, And Sea Skimmer says, seems to me someone told the truth 75 years ago, then someone else covered it up. Oh, I like that. That would be a good movie tagline. It would. Someone told the truth 75 (laughs) years ago, and then... Someone covered it up. (laughs) Tom DeLonge's remake of Close Encounters. (laughs) On that note, folks, we'll leave you. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, This week coming up, you can rent Phenomenology Episode 2. If you head to the Vimeo link, we'll pop in the description for the podcast. Can, can I read one review out that we got just because no. I was over the moon with this? So I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, I thought you Ga- Gaz Superfly on Twitter said, first episode has me hooked, so well produced and put together with incredible visuals. I can't wait to watch the rest of the documentary and see what you all discovered. The Signal and Disclosure team have brought credibility back to ufology in an amazing way. What an incredible review. Thank you. And yeah, I think that's as it all really. And they never paid for that review. Uh, <laughs> and the, the coming days, you're going to hear... Uh, George Knapp and Colm Kelleher review the year so far in part one and part two. Those will be released over a couple of days, folks, not too far apart. Really interesting, fun conversation. The full thing's available, early access and ad-free on Patreon, Apple, YouTube, and any other kind of premium platform. So thank you if you subscribe to any of those. Um, Then I've recorded with John Alexander that was rescheduled. That one will be available next week, early access, to be released the following week. 
Um, this week, I've got Robin Hansen on the podcast. That'll be out the week after that. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. That was another one that had to be rescheduled. It's been a funny couple of weeks, um, but we're, we're pretty much ahead with things. I, I should also say that when people hear you talk to Robin Hansen, any questions that you have, send them in because I've scheduled him for a Color and Outside the Lines episode in a few months, so we can get a bit nerdy if you want to in that one. So yeah, let, let's see how they piggyback. Absolutely do that, folks. Absolutely. And um, Jeremy Corbell should be back on in a few weeks as a follow-up to that year in review episode. Um, we'll be covering some of those points made, uh, covered with George and Colm, but some other stuff as well. Uh, and Dan, we're going to review a documentary this month. Did we decide on Out of the Blue? I think we did, yeah. Yeah, Out of the Blue. Classic. Uh, James Fox, classic effort. We're going to do that one. And then I think already, I know in August, we're going to do the Dorothy Isaac one as well because quite a few people have asked us to look at that so yeah this yeah, month absolutely. we'll look at the out of the blue by james fox so any questions you have or any thoughts or opinions on that documentary go watch it ahead of time or wait till we review it and then you can you can watch it afterwards as well but uh yeah lots more to come this month so thank you very much and just one ask for me if you've made it this far into the podcast if you're having any issues listening on any platforms let me know just cause of some changes i've made with techie stuff in the background um apparently it might look like some of you on google podcasts are having some issues with your feed you might have to refresh it um, but i'll let you know i'll chase that one up folks but yeah a couple of people have mentioned google podcasts having a couple of issues but everyone else it seems okay so far so yeah so dan thank you very much and we'll okay. speak to everyone else soon that is all for this week's show thank you very much for listening please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform you can like retweet and subscribe that would all be very much appreciated the shows are being uploaded onto youtube as we speak more and more you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that ufo podcast to access the shows ad free as well please get in touch on twitter facebook instagram that ufo podcast of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, UAPAM. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shut out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how I could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. And I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head. And everything was weird and everything was wet. I called up my boys. They thought this was noise. They thought it was a dream. They thought it was my toys. They thought it was my problems. And I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. If you really want to know who I think they be, I guess you and me and us and we and him and her and that and she and that thing over there and what's that, Jake? Yeah.